Welcome to the History of Strength Sports Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the history and evolution of strength. I'm Brett Nicol, creator of the historic Nicol Walking Stones. Welcome to this episode. Welcome to episode four of the History of Strength Sports Podcast, everyone. So as always, I'm joined by Mr. Hayden Balio. So how's it going over there, Hayden? It's going good over here, uh, Jacob. We're, uh, me and my wife are selling our house, so uh, we got, you know, big uh you know all these things happening right now but uh i feel strong today so that's always a good <laughs> thing dude uh, so uh yeah no everything's good though the weather's finally back to normal texas and we're no longer freezing over here so uh yeah i'm uh i'm excited for our guest which i'll let you introduce yeah, absolutely. So today we've got a guest all the way from from South Australia. So we're we're working with three different time zones here. So um, yeah, thanks guys for uh, for making this happen on for you, Hayden, your Saturday for for us over in Australia our Sunday, the three different time zones. Um, so we're going to be chatting today about the um, yeah, this this chap's life in strength and also dive into the history in in Australia. Um, it's not something we've got a lot of information on, so we're hoping that um that he can fill in some of the blanks. So uh, yeah, welcome to the episode. He's a he's a longtime friend of the history of strength sports. He's the he's the king of the circus. He's Mr. Jordan Biggie Stevens. So how's it going down there, Biggie? Gentlemen, thank you very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been a massive fan, like you said, of everything you guys do and. It's an absolute honour to, to be a part of this. So thank you very much for having me. Uh, down here in Adelaide at the moment is, is busy. We, we're in coming into what we call Mad March here in Adelaide and South Australia. Adelaide is the most dead place all year round. Like nothing happens in this city all year round till February, March. We have the fringe. If we didn't have COVID, we'd have what we call the V8 supercars. We have Worm Adelaide. We have all these different festivals one after another. March then finishes and then we disappear into doing nothing for the rest of the year. So um, it is, it's nonstop busy at the moment. It's great fun. All the circuses are out. All the groups are out. It's just amazing in Adelaide at the moment. And the weather has been um, not those 45 degree days. It's been quite a cold summer for us. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah, I think we've had the wettest winter on, on record up here where I am. And um, moving from the UK, yeah. I think we said just before the episode, I think I'm due some kind of refund because I was definitely missold the Australian dream so far with the weather. But never mind, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, we saw you um, on your Instagram stories. You were performing until late last night. So how, how did it all go? Yeah, look, like I said, here in Adelaide, we've got the Fringe, which is, I guess, what you'd call the tier below the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It, um, it's the biggest Fringe Festival in the Southern Hemisphere. It's just a massive show of circuses and everything. And Obviously, due to COVID this year, we haven't had the international artists. We haven't had uh, a lot of the overseas people, obviously, here due to uh, restrictions. And obviously, coming into Australia, it's very heavy restrictions of the quarantine mm. to come here. Um, so it's been a lot of local artists. So I'm actually doing a circus course at the moment with a group called Gravity and Other Myths, which is Australia's top circus. They are literally the best circus in Australia. So I'm actually doing a training course with them, learning some more acrobatic stuff aside from the strongman stuff. So last night I just did a bit of old school circus strongman in front of a, a very raucous, uh, heavily intoxicated crowd in Adelaide, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's, been, it's been a few years since I competed as a pro. So it was kind of like a bit of a step back onto the stage again for me. So it was a lot of fun. Just crushed a few Coke cans, lifted my giant dumbbell, you know, just the old school stuff for a bit of fun. And like I said, the crowd got into it. Like I said, I'm pretty sure half of them were a few cans deep by the time I got on stage. Uh, but, you know, it was just one of those great moments where you get back up on stage. You've got 
you know, other circus performers in the crowd. You've just got such a broad range of people from, you know, performers to athletes to just your average punters. So, um, yeah, look, late night, a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to the next one. I got a training session at uh, what they call RCC or the Royal Croquet Club here in Adelaide this afternoon. So nonstop, but a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been been really cool to see on your on your Instagram just to see you overhead pressing people like they're nothing, just going for it. It's been uh, it's been it's been really cool. So before we dive into the the history of strength in in Australia, just to get to know you a little bit more, Biggie. So can you just take us through um, briefly your your sort of background in strength sports? From what I understand, you've competed to pretty high level in in multiple strength sports. So yeah, what's um yeah what have you been up to? <laughs> Yeah, look, I guess for me, I, I'm, I always like to start and say I'm very blessed in my career that I've been working with so many great people because I believe that's what got me to where I, I am now and what got me through my career. So I started wrestling at Flinders University here in Adelaide when I was 12 years old, did three years as a wrestler, won three national junior titles and schoolboys championships as a kid through wrestling. I got scouted in high school. Uh, for weightlifting. Uh, the Institute of Sport came out and said, look, you would be a, a great fit for Olympic weightlifting. And, you know, school for me wasn't, uh, how do I put it? It was always really difficult. I, I suffered with dyslexia all the way through school. So it was one of those real hard things with learning difficulties and stuff like that. So I needed an outlet for that type of stuff. I was always a very big kid. Um, so, you know, lifting weights and training was kind of my outlet and I really focused my time and effort into being a weightlifter. So sort of through my 14 year old, through the beginning, competed for uh, my state regularly, then obviously got the very good opportunity to compete for my country numerous times. I got to travel overseas, Japan, New Caledonia, New Zealand um, with weightlifting, which was just an absolute dream come true for me as a young kid I got to train at Canberra at the AIS uh, I guess later into my career I obviously got invited to do the clock of power weekend in, in Russia uh, Dmitry Klokov ran the competitions and invited myself and another athlete named Chris Chanchio from Melbourne and that was just another dream come true I was always a big fan of Russian weightlifting as a child um, who doesn't you know, love Klokov right who doesn't right? love him right I mean this guy's crazy he's a nut Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those things where I grew up watching Russian weightlifting, Russian wrestling when I was a kid. And then when you get that opportunity to go over there to train, to compete, you know, it was just felt like a kid in a candy store. And, you know, by then I was later into my career. So I'd already done pro strongman shows and competed against good guys, but this was still another step up again. So I was very lucky to go over there and do that three times. I even won one of them, which was just a dream come true to be, the first Australian, the first non-Russian to to win a, a weightlifting cup in Russia, which was just a, a dream come true and just a moment for me I will never, ever forget. Uh, and then I guess if we dial back a little bit again through my career, I started Strongman at 17. I got um, I went out to a competition here just to watch it and the guys are like, well, you're here now. You might as well compete. I think that's how everyone gets started in Strongman. I think, that's, yeah. I think everyone just rocks up to a comp and they see you go, you're a big lad. You just get out there and have a crack. And, um, you know, I got second in that competition and then that just started my love of strength sport like strongman and circus strongman. And through my career, I went through and I was very lucky to compete at Giants Live twice. Um, I was the youngest pro. I turned pro at 21. Um, I was 
you know, strongman has changed a lot. I, a lot of people just go, well, how did you turn pro so young? And look, the sport of strongman in Australia at the time was very new. We'd sort of gone through those peaks and rises and I was very lucky to come into it as it was starting to come up again. So it was just, you know, almost a situation of right place at right time. But at the same time, I did train my ass off to get that spot. So, you know, it's one of those things. So I was lucky to compete at Giants Live twice in Melbourne, um, and made some good friends there, competed against some of the best guys in the world. Nick Best, um, Mike Jenkins, rest in peace, um, you know, talking about Derek Poundstone, some of the all-time legends. I even had Sven Carlson um, watching me do my yoke run, which was just someone like him who's the king of the yoke walk. And yoke was always one of my best events. And I did the run through, it was like 450 and I got like fourth. And because I was a relatively no-namer that no one knew who I was, Sven Carlson turned around and he was like, wow, that was a very impressive yoke. And to me, that had given, I could have come dead last. And if he had said that, that would have made my competition. It just didn't matter the result. It was just to get that that comment from someone who you look, look up to as a, as a peer, as a, a hero, as a you know role model. It's just one of those awesome, awesome things. So I guess through my career, I've had so many awesome opportunities to compete with so many great guys around the world. Um, I've had so much fun. Um, you know, it was funny when I got to sort of the end of my professional or pro career. I was in my early, oh, sorry, I was in my mid to late 20s, uh, which is very early for someone to call it quits. But for me, I started very, very young. So, um, mm. and there's, again, in between that time, there was a million other things that had happened, but you know, we've only got so long and I could talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really interesting. Every time we're, I try and look up strength history in Australia or what's going on in strength, your name's there on every time. Every time it's really cool. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where, like I said, I, I uh, my hero is Misha Kuklaev. He is the greatest strength athlete to walk this planet. There is no ifs, ats or buts about it. Zadrunas, in my opinion, is the greatest strongman to ever live, the greatest strongman. The greatest strength athlete in my in my humble opinion is Misha. He can do everything. He's done Highland Games. He's done Strongman. He's done weightlifting. He's done powerlifting. He's done everything, like everything. And when I saw him in Moscow for the first time, again, this was years after I competed against Thor and against Brian and against all these other dudes and emceed them in competitions, I think I stopped and thought God walked past me. <laughs> um, it just, again, it just felt like just another tier level of, of a person. But he, you know, again, it was just one of those things where I saw him do so many different things. And I felt like that was kind of similar for me is that I could do so many different sports because I believed I could do weightlifting. I could do powerlifting. I could do Highland Games. I could do this, that, and the other because I believe I gave myself a broad enough spectrum. But Misha Kuklaev is definitely somewhere well above wherever I'll ever get to in my career, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a great choice. Yeah, his name doesn't come off up a huge amount with that, but yeah, we can definitely understand understand your yeah. reasoning there. So um, what's your involvement in strength at the moment? What are you up to uh, at the moment in strength? I guess I, I retired from, from, like I said, strengths competitions uh, in sort of that 2018 period where I... I left my weightlifting shoes on the platform in Russia and stepped off and, and called it quits. And I haven't, I wouldn't say I've officially retired from strongman. I think a few guys are still wishing I'd come back and do a comp. Um, but in late 2019, I ruptured my left bicep off and had to have surgery. Um, so that was one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, 
I'm starting to show my age a little bit now and got to play things a little bit smarter. And um, so I'm a coach here in Adelaide. I coach the state weightlifting team here. Um, so I'm working with the next generation of Olympic weightlifters here, um, which it was one of those real funny situations when I, when I retired or, or slowed down doing weightlifting, I lost the passion to win. I didn't like winning to me to by the end of my career was kind of like a secondary thing. I enjoyed stepping out into the platform, lifting, but making sure the crowd enjoyed what I was doing. So if I could walk off the platform and see a young kid smiling or a parent just with a massive smile or a dude that was just going ballistic, I'd known I'd done my job properly. Um, I just didn't, first place didn't bother me anymore. I just, winning was, you know, if I won, don't get me wrong, if I won, I would have been ecstatic and you, you don't walk on a platform to come second. But at the same time, I just remember walking up to doing events, doing a yoke walk, and I just talked to everyone in the crowd the whole way up. You know, when you've done the sport so much and done it for so many years, you're just more relaxed about it. You can go up there and you know you focus in at that last second. You don't use up all your adrenaline leading into it. I just would talk to people. I'd relax, talk to a kid in the crowd, just see how their day was doing, you know, because that's their opportunity to talk to a professional strongman or the chance to just get a little bit of an insight into what you're like as a person because I think there's a big disconnect between you on the stage and the crowd there there's a almost bring a bit of human side to it so when I sort of retired or stepped away from competing it was not necessarily what I'd call easy but I knew my position was to coach the next generation and work with the young kids of the future because that's where I believe I'm going to get a lot out of I I I don't like to think that I'm one of those people that like lifts through their athlete, but I have this connection with an athlete on the platform where I feel like I'm with them on the platform when they lift. And I'm, I just love that side of things. I get more joy out of seeing my guys win than I ever would winning. You know, I just love watching them win because I know what it feels like and I can see their face and I can see how much they love it. Yeah, that's amazing. What a, what an incredible career you've had and yeah, the chance now to, to give back in the, in the sports you love. That's yeah. That's so cool to hear. So um, yeah, let's switch gears a little bit now. So kind of me and Hayden, we've done a couple of episodes on where we are in strength history right now um, sort of pertaining to the, to the various different strength sports and, and different aspects of strength sports. So here in Australia, obviously I've only been here a matter of months. So I've not kind of got to grips necessarily with kind of what's going on in the culture of strength here. So as you see it today, what's going on in, in strength sports in, uh, in Australia at the moment? Well, I guess for me, when I stepped away, I, I really did step away quite a lot from the sport. I really sort of thought of it as when I moved away was that it was my time to step away from the sport and it was the next generation's time to come through. So I do coach a few of the next generation strongmen coming through here yeah. in South Australia. Um, I see just a massive peak starting to form here in Australia. We Australia is one of those funny places where when you get to a pro level, you kind of learn and understand how far away we are from everyone, <laughs> how flights are a long way away, how competitions are a long way away. If you want to be really good, how far we are away from things here. Um, and let's be honest with ourselves here. If a promoter wants to bring someone over, they've got a choice of a lot of athletes in Europe and the US versus one or two top guys in Australia. But what I'm starting to see 
is the level of guys in Australia are bringing each other up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I come from a generation where really the only weight classes when I started was open and under 105. Um, so I don't really, you know, I didn't really see the, the lightweight classes, but now I'm starting to see more and more of them now. And the standards obviously going up and up and up there as well. We've got some really talented lightweight guys. Uh, the heavyweight guys are definitely starting to show their skill levels and stuff like that. We have a guy named Luke Reynolds, who's been a friend of mine since day dot. We both did early like state competitions together, you know, six, seven, 170 kilos. I've seen him do stone runs up to 200 comfortably. Myself and him have the Australian record in the stone at 213. Um, he is a legit monster giant um, with so much skill level, but so much wanting to get better, even though he's old school. We've got other young guys coming through. Rongo Keane, who is uh, the log lifting world champ uh, in uh, Lithuania with Zadrunas. Uh, then we have a guy named Eddie Williams, who is at World's Strongest Man. A few years back, we also have a, a guy named Colm Wolf from New Zealand, who, in my opinion, um, is the most talented heavyweight strongman in this area of the world. Um, he's done World's Strongest Man twice. He's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, 185 kilos, but he just moves so well for such a big guy. And I've never seen someone with shoulders that wide. There's a there's a great photo or video of the guys at Welds. I think Botswana, when they're all coming off the plane, and I'm sure both of you guys know how big Brian Shaw is, right? He's an absolute monster. Colm walks out behind him and makes him look small. It was one of the weirdest things to see because Colm's just so broad that Samoan, New Zealand you know, background has just made him so strong. Um, so, it, look, like I said, we, I believe we've got a lot of talent coming through. I think we're still a few years behind. We don't have that, you know, huge population like Europe does or the US does. But I believe if, you know, guys just keep moving forward, moving forward, learning, 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 what will happen is this point here will be the top and we'll have three or four guys go to here. And then these guys are going to be like, well, we better chase. And it'll just keep going and keep chasing and keep chasing. Um, I guess it's always the biggest thing is trying to stay injury free as long as humanly possible. And that's always the biggest thing. I think a lot of athletes have got to understand. So I think strongman in Australia has it. I think it's on its way up. And I think uh, there's just so much talent. I think because we're such a multicultural country, I just think we've just got so much ability. Um, you know, it's just a very newish, I guess, new sport coming out of sort of hidden more than anything else. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It seems, um, yeah, all going on here. Do you find a, a disconnect in different areas of Australia? Because obviously down where you are, it might perhaps be a little bit cooler than other areas. You find that most of the strength sports are happening sort of south of the country because where I am in, I'm in regional New South Wales and there's not a huge amount going on here. You kind of have to go up to Brisbane or down to Sydney to, to find any any sort of competitions and things going on. Is there a disconnect in terms of location? Yeah, absolutely. That's Australia for you. Just desert everywhere. Um, a few animals here and there. And then, you know, just, uh, just a bit of wildlife here, there and everywhere. But Look, it is one of those things. There is a bit of a disconnect, um, absolutely, because, like I said, once you get into Central Australia, there's just nothing. Um, so, you know, it's sort of one of those things where people don't actually understand how big Australia is from one side to another. It's a massive place, but everyone lives on the coast. Mm-hmm. Right? So everyone just lives in the major cities and stuff like that. So you get a bit of a disconnect from the city to the country. 
And especially if you're in Adelaide, where we all like to think a 20-minute drive is like the end of the world. Um, while if you live in Sydney, Melbourne, I'm assuming the US where you are would be exactly the same. If you drive two hours to work, that's relatively normal, right? Here in Adelaide, if you drive 30 minutes, you're literally like going to the other side of the country. Like we have this massive issue here in Adelaide where nobody wants to travel anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, we, we do get that disconnect from state to state because it is quite a fair way away from each other. And then again, you go back to the idea of when you disconnect from the states to each other, then you disconnect from our country to everybody else. You know, traveling to Moscow for competitions and training camps when I was younger, it's a 24 hour flight there and back. You know, it is a very long flight and it just is what it is. That's just what you have to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where we, I'd love, I, I coach two teams here in Adelaide, one in the Adelaide Hills, one in the city. So I coach two teams. It would be nice if we could get strongmen out in the country. So you start a strongman country team, which there is a gentleman here in Adelaide named Ashley Phyllis, who is starting to do it in a place called Kadena, which is about, Port Perry, sorry, which is about two and a half hours north of Adelaide. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, once you sort of get out of the major city, you sort of, it, it really dies off. You know, while yeah. I guess in the UK and the US, you've sort of got big cities everywhere through the middle of the country, while we don't have that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Everything, especially in the UK. Yeah, about 45 minutes anywhere and you're into a major city so yeah we've got that kind of connection and people travel into gyms in other places and things all the time um so kind of diving into the the history of strength in australia so obviously australia was settled by by sort of westerners in the in the late 18th century um and what i'm really keen on is sort of the the more ancient type of, of strength history obviously in iceland um you've got stone lifting in scotland you've got highland games which dates back almost a, a thousand years um and all this evidence of strength training and strength sports kind of hundreds if not thousands of years ago so with australia is there any evidence of strength training strength sports sort of before western settlers in the sort of aboriginal culture have you got any information about that yeah i actually contacted a very good friend of mine the other day luke taylor very good friend of mine works in the aboriginal community he's his uncle's an elder um, so I'm tr I tried to reach out to the Aboriginal community through people I knew. So they're going to actually get me some more details. The elder couldn't get back to me in time for the podcast, but what I'm hoping to is get a full list of everything that the elders can give us and hopefully get that to you on your page. Amazing. But what I basically got from most of the guys who were chatting, the Aboriginal community is a bit more of that sort of hunter-gathering type group rather than sort of more the, the traditional strength style stuff, if that kind of makes sense. We They sort of... You know, competitions were done more through the sense of like hunting and tracking. They moved a lot. They didn't stay in one spot. They sort of would hunt there. They would track there. They'd burn the land, move on, and they'd go around that type of stuff. So a lot of those types of stuff, I guess, from the Indigenous Australians was a lot of hunting and gathering competition style stuff, spear throwings. But they did a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat, wrestling okay. Uh, fighting that type of stuff because they are a, a warrior type tribe so i guess in that sense there's no real knowledge of anything sort of stone lifting or anything like that but i guess it's more of that um i guess the the, the hunting gathering the fishing the boating uh i guess almost like that viking style with the boating side of there they're very you know the hunter gathering the the fighting side of things but not not anything too much on the the strength side of things uh, but I guess if you if 
you watch the indigenous community doing sport now, you'll notice that they're, I don't know if you've watched a game of AFL or anything like that yet. If you just watch their hand-eye coordination and their ability and their power and their movement, they are so leaps and bounds above everybody else. They make things look so easy. They move so well. They jump so well. What they do, uh, we call it selling candy. So, like, if you're going to pretend to handball the ball to someone else, but you go the other way, you know, they just do that. And, you know, it just makes, uh, you know, Westerners and, and that just looks stupid, you know. So, they just have this years and years of just great hand-eye coordination, great power, great skill, more so than... I guess the strength side of things. So uh, hopefully though, if uh, the elders get back to me as soon as possible, I can get you some more information. But like I said, I think it's a, a bit more of the athletic side of things and a bit more of the hunter gathering side of things here, which is again, a strength in their own regard, you know, just cause it's not lifting stones or anything like that. It's just a very different form of mental strength, especially with the tracking and the hunting and all yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely appreciate some some more information on that. And thanks for your efforts to, to get in touch with Luke and and those guys to try and get that to us. It's something I've looked at briefly and kind of checked the usual resources and the, the archives of some of the universities here and stuff. And I just I couldn't find anything. So it's great to have that perspective. Yeah. And yeah, good to know you've got a contact sort of in that community yeah. that can possibly help us out. That's maybe a, a one for a future episode. It's, it's amazing up. because it's one of those things we don't really think about. We even as Australians, we tend not to really think about, we, we always look to the, the popular things, you know, the stone lifting in Iceland, the stone lifting in Scotland, the Highland Games, everything like that, the, the Basque lifting, the stuff in Germany, all that type of stuff, the real popular stuff. But people that remember the Aboriginal community are literally the oldest group of people on the planet. You know, they're one of the oldest groups. And it's just one of those things where I, I get... They invented tactical training, right? I mean, they're the, they're the, they're the original tactical training. Luke actually said, he goes, you might as well just compare it to CrossFit. We yeah. basically created CrossFit. And I didn't, I did piss myself when he said that. I said, you know what? You're 100% right, man. 100% right. Yeah, I get it. You're training for functionality in your life, uh, in your society, in the way that you yeah. live. That's very cool. I mean, that's, it's extremely, um, uh, yeah, something that I'd love to dive into deeper, even though, you know, it's not pertaining straight to strength sports, you know, it's, just, it's very cool in general. Mm. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait for that list. Hopefully that elder gets back to you soon. Absolutely. You got yeah. it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I can imagine the post now. Aboriginals invented CrossFit thousands of years ago. Take that, Charles. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the post right there, right? Way to stir the pot there. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. a good clickbait. I like it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, and just looking through the notes here, I've, I've left this next sort of question really vague, so I apologize about that. But kind of the... Um, the history of strength sports in in australia then what can you tell us about kind of well, how they evolved where they started any any noticeable gyms and things and i'll add on to that because you know i noticed the australian uh, strongest man started in 1993 that's just when it seemed it was established and it was first won by bill bill linden i believe mm -hmm. but you know so it had, was there any evidence of uh, were there any organized strength sports before that you know before 1993 so i guess here in australia we I, I remember sending something through to Jacob a while back of a gym here in Adelaide called Fox's Gym. Yeah. Now, Fox's Gym is one of the oldest gyms here in Australia. It was started in the, like, 1920s. And it's still there now, and the family still own the gym. I did a photo shoot there before the Fringe two years ago. 
And I, I'm massive on like weightlifting history and stuff like that. You know, Dean Lucan, who is our Olympic gold medalist, which I'll harp on about him a little bit later on. But I guess if we go back to sort of that old era, so Fox's gym was started in the 1920s. And, you know, the, the, the family that have owned that gym have owned it ever since. They've got photos of the wrestling uh, gym there. So that was basically where sort of strongmen started in Australia was through gymnastics and through wrestling. Um, and Fox's gym is one of the earliest places I could find any details of, of um, I guess, strength training. He's even got a cutout from when Eugene Sandow came here and did his uh, rounds of Australia and he came to Adelaide Oval. And so the grandfather of the, the gentleman that opened the gym went to see Eugene Sandow here um, and then has the cutout from the paper. Oh, wow. Which is just amazing. Um, I actually, pers I actually personally haven't seen the cutout because it's hidden somewhere, and I don't know if I can get my hands on it. But I'd love to yeah. get my hands on it somehow. Um, but you know, he was one of the sort of the the beginning um, of of the generation, I guess, here in South Australia. Um, the wrestling club started there and then moved through there. He would do strongman demonstrations. He lifted late into his life um so i guess that was sort of where it started was the, the wrestling side and i guess the early weightlifting days and you sort of go into the weightlifting stuff of you know um dean lucan and uh, robert cabas who were our first uh, olympic sort of senior medalist so dean lucan in 1984 won the gold medal in los angeles uh, and robert cabas was silver in the under 82s and they're two feats that have never been um, replicated. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't think we'll ever be replicated ever again. Um, Dean Lucan was something just so special, so out of this world. A, a, a guy who six months of the year lived on a, on a, a tuna trawler. He was family, uh, were a tuna fisherman. Um, they, he lived on a, on a tuna boat for six months of the year. He'd come back to Adelaide and trained six months of the year for Olympic weightlifting. So there's some footage of him. I've got to see if I can find it of him doing snatches on a on a trawler out in the middle of the sea. It's yeah, that was my that was my question. Was he doing yeah. any training on on the boat? Yeah. Now, I need footage of a guy really? doing snatches out on uh, on, a, on a tuna boat, man. Yeah. I need that. Yeah, he's like overalls, like he's on the boat. It's like a, <laughs> it, it is one of the it is one of the best pieces of footage you will ever see. I love it. It's so so good. Um, so I'll see if I can get that for you guys because it's great. It's an old, it's an old like um, video before Los Angeles. They did like a bit of a, a rundown on Dean Lucan, and because he was just something so rare that he was only doing six months of training and was snatching one seventy five and clean and jerking two forty. You know, like it was just one of those things where you're like, oh my god, is this guy serious? Is this guy real? So is tuna uh, fish the answer? I mean, is that? <laughs> Should I just go pescatarian tuna all day, every day? Like, that's my thing now? <laughs> well, see, that's the, that's, that's the big thing here, too. I don't know if you have, have, have you guys ever heard of Tunarama? No. What's that? Oh, my goodness. Tunarama. Okay. Tunarama. So, in Port Lincoln, where Dean Lucan's from, they do the tuna fish throw. Ah, it's a, okay. It's a world championship. So, um, we used to go over there every year. And we'd just do a strongman demo. We'd just pull a truck in the main street. We'd have a throw of the fish. You know, just do some demo-y type stuff. But 
they take this seriously. This we, There is international competitors coming here for it. You'd have a crowd of 10, 20,000 people watching. It was massive. All yeah. to throw a fish as far as you possibly can. Well, Jordan, I, oh. so I compete in the Highland Games, Jordan, and uh, yeah. there's a Games in Alaska that uh, one of the main patrons of it a long time ago created like a 55-pound tuna fish yep. uh, for them to throw at this Games in Alaska as like an extra exhibition event. So I've always wanted to go up there and throw it. And now, now I got to go to Tunarama, though, man. Yeah, well, that's where I got to go. Come to Adelaide, man. You're staying with me, and I'm taking you to Tunarama. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, man. That sounds amazing. Tunarama is is awesome. Like the 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 way it's run is so so cool. It's international. You're a world championship. You get given a belt, and you get your name put on it. It's a it's mad. Like even so, when Luke Reynolds came over to Adelaide and did the event, the PM, the Australian Prime Minister, was there, and he actually saw Luke throw the winning toss. Now I've got to find out what the record is because the record that was thrown by a guy named Sean Carlin, who was uh, Olympic hammer thrower, Commonwealth Games record holder, Commonwealth Games champion, many, many times, uh, like just, yeah, like a proper thrower. He, so what you do is, <laughs> what you do is you stand on the foreshore. It's hilarious, like a hammer throw. You got your circle and the fence set up and you throw towards the water. So you're actually turning and it throws yeah. back towards the water. So you're basically throwing the tuna back to where it belongs. Yeah. And um, guys were just getting onto the sand. So I was like, huh, that's a fair way. These guys are doing pretty good throws. And I just happened to chat to one of the, you know, the guys that have been there for like 50 years who lives in Port Lake. And he's like, oh, that wasn't too bad. But I remember Sean Carl and I'm like, okay, here it comes. <laughs> and he walked, he walked out to where he threw. I was like knee deep in water. <laughs> like this, he he just got so far. But again, as you understand, that is just the thrower in him. He knows how to turn through the circle. Oh yeah, he, it was just ridiculous how much further. Did a couple of hill toe turns, and he's in his yeah, con. Yeah, that's gonna be the other one. I've got to try and find. I've actually got Sean on on um on Facebook. I should see if he's got some old footage or some photos of him throwing. That's drama, dude. I need to see this. Yeah, man, it was just a lot of fun. I'll, I'll make sure to share it through to you. But I guess if if we get back to sort of the history, I guess that's me. I'm I always just start panning off on random conversations and random stuff. No, that was amazing. Um, <laughs> so I guess for me, I looked into Fox's gym and the family there, the grandfather who started it. You know his sort of role going through strength sports in South Australia. A lot of people don't know who he is. A lot of people don't know the gym. Um, but it's one of those things where I think if you do come to Adelaide, you go there and almost pay homage to exactly where strength sport had start in South Australia. Then I guess in Australia, it's still been that very underground. So we go through those peaks and mounds and go up and down and people lose sight of where it was and who started it. And then you sort of move through into the sort of early years of, of weightlifting and stuff like that, where I believe... A lot of the guys that did weightlifting would do little demonstrations of strength type stuff. Then you move through into the early 80s and, and that type of period of, of Highland Games starting to get big through here. So we're talking about sort of like your David Huxley's, your Joe Quigley's, your Matt Sanford, who in my opinion is, uh, if not the greatest Highland Games athlete or one of the greatest Highland Games athletes to compete. 
um, had the world record for the heavy hammer till like a few years ago, and he had it from like the nineties. Um, but again, of course, I'm gonna be biased because I'm Australian, so I'm always gonna be biased. <laughs> the only people here, um, but yeah, Matt's a, an absolute superstar. I think he's five times Highland Games world champion, which just speaks volumes. Amazing, yeah. Uh, then yeah, you you go on to guys like Bill Linden, who was my mentor, the person that first got me into the sport. Um, back in the sort of 2000s, late 2000s, 2010s. Um, and Derek Boyer, who was world's strongest man competitor, like 12 times um, and and all that type of stuff. That, I guess, now is becoming, funnily enough, making me show my age is that, you know, stuff from the 80s and 90s is really, really old now, uh, which is kind of scary in so many ways. Um, but we've just had so many great guys come through in that sense of, you know, through the by uh, Magnus Samuel. I guess big time competitions, 80s and 90s and stuff like that is where competitions start to get more serious. Sorry, I lost y'all there. Like uh, two minutes. Uh, I don't know what happened to my connection, but uh, so I didn't get to hear any of that, but I'm sure it was amazing. I was, you know. Um, <laughs> but what were we saying around the 80s and 90s? Sorry, what was that? So around the 80s and 90s is sort of where the, the serious start of competition sort of came in. You know, Highland Games had been in Australia for a while, but, you know, we started to... Bill Binks and guys like that uh, were the guys who were coming through that period of time. Again, you Joe Quigley, who went to World's Strongest Man. Uh, you David Huxley's, your Matt Sanford's. Uh, then you go into today's Highland Games, guys, like your Dale Stevenson's or your Scott Martins or your Aaron Neighbours, you know, world champions. Aaron Neighbours, I did my first interstate show with and it was actually Maryborough Highland Games when I was just in my late teens. And he's, he's a full bravado, young teenage Jordan Steffens, you know, coming from Olympic weightlifting, thinking he's kind of a big deal stepping up to the stage where I'm up against Scott Martin, who's a shot putter for Australia, Aaron Neighbours, who's a shot putter for Australia, who was stepping onto Highland Games. And here's me trying to learn how to throw or put one of the stones to do the heavy hammer. And I just, I remember watching um, Aaron do a turn through the circle and just that smooth pop through his fingers and it just looked like the stone just kept going. It just looked like it just kept going and kept going. And I was so lucky in my career to be schooled by all these guys as a young teenager coming through, having all this history, 
all these guys behind me giving me cues, giving me tips, telling me exactly what had happened before I was there. Because Strongman was happening before I was around. Strongman's been happening for thousands of years. This isn't just something that started. This is something that's been going on for years and years and years, thousands of years, hundreds of years. It's only just now that people are starting to see it on television, on YouTube, on everything. It's just the world is so accessible now. We couldn't be doing this if we didn't have this accessibility, which is great. It just gives me so much pleasure to do these podcasts with people like you guys. Um, but you know, at the same time, we kind of lose that connection between people, between the, the mentors, between the guys who came before us. And as we were chatting about off air, how good this is to start you know, giving that thought process to the young guys, the next generation to go, huh, I wonder who was doing this before I was doing it. Or she's like, probably should get some advice off of this person because, wow, they were like a world champion in 1950. Okay, their training tips and their training stuff are maybe very different to what they are now, but there's always something you can learn from someone else, always. And that's why I've always loved the history because I think there's so much we can learn from the past that we've maybe brushed over. It's kind of like watching a movie the second or third time you watch it, you go, oh, I didn't see that in the last one. That's really different. Or like, oh, man, that was actually funnier this time I watched it rather than the first time. Um, but I guess, um, you know, it, the, the more we sort of work through it, I guess, into Dean Luke and into Robert Cabas, then coming in through, again, the names I was just listing off, Scott Martin and all that type of stuff. But, you know, then we move into the 2000s where we had the Giants Live starting here in Australia. We also had what we called the Wheat Bix series here in Australia, which was run by David Huxley. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Wheat Bix series, is that Wheat Bix is a brand of cereal here. And the, the old saying is, how many Wheat Bix can you do? So they're like a little block of like wheat, obviously, mm -hmm. Wheat Bix. Um, so they're little blocks and you can just put like 30 in a bowl. And if you can put that away, you're, you're a pretty big man. So I reckon Hayden, you probably did the most likely out of all three of us to put that away. Um, but so it was like, one of those things. So it's like Wheaties though, but like, right. yeah, just a, it's just like, okay, gotcha. I that's the one. I'm looking it up real quick. Okay. Yeah, no, that's the one. So they, they sponsored uh, what the Wheat Big Strongman Challenge. So what they would do is David Huxley worked with a guy named Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer was the biggest name in television in Australia. He was the biggest, you know, he owned casinos. Their family is extremely wealthy. The story goes, he sat down with David Huxley and went, okay, we'll do this. You've got this. You've got to make this TV rating. If you don't make this TV rating, it's not happening. First time they went on television, they made the rating by like, three times what it was meant to be. And they went back into his office. Kerry, typical smoking cigar. Good. See you next week. <laughs> like just typical what you'd see in a movie type thing. So it went on for a couple of years. What they did is they'd run strongman shows at the Easter uh, show in Sydney, where they'd invite the best guys in the world in the 90s. So you'd have like Gary Taylor, Mark Felipe. Um, you'd have Magnus Samuelson, Torfey, uh, Rene Mingfitz, then you'd have the top Aussies. You have Grant Edwards, who's a world record holder. David Huxley, world record holder. Derek Boyer, you know, world's strongest man many times. Bill Linden, um, the New Zealand guys were here. Colin Cox, guys like this who were just legendary names through this area and around the world, come to Australia for like two weeks. They would do the Easter show and they'd do like the same events. I think it was like farmers for max distance, 100 kilos a hand or something stupid. Or they'd go 100 kilos for 100 metres because back in the 90s, why not? <laughs> um, 
And then they'd do like a run of five stones, which then turned into what we now know as the Bundanoon stones, which is the most iconic set of stones in Australia. So they used to do the run of Bundanoon stones at Sydney show. They used to do the farmers and they'd do a log lift and a few other things. But also at the same time as they'd run a record breakers, which is, again, for me, watching the record breakers is just the coolest thing ever. So they would pull, Grant Edwards pulled a world record train. David Huxley pulled... Uh, what they call the Endeavour, which was a massive sail ship across Sydney Harbour with his hands, which is just, there's a photo of it. It looks mad. Uh, they pulled uh, a mining truck, the big like yellow Tonka truck looking ones. Um, they pulled some trucks over Sydney Harbour Bridge. Like they did all this cool, cool That's stuff. That's the type of stuff that makes a sport elevated. I was talking to Jacob like last podcast, I believe about this. And it was just like, you know, the sports need more spectacle. They need more insanity like that because it drives, it makes people just be like, whoa, like, yeah. whoa, right? Because if you put weights on a bar, it looks impressive, but it's still just weights on a bar. I want to see somebody tow a ship across a shipyard. That sounds amazing. Exactly. And that's basically why And I stepped from strongman to circus strongman. Yeah, I love that. Because I got that opportunity to just go and do the funnest stuff, the biggest stuff. And you know what? Between you and me and everyone that watches this, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the heaviest thing in the world. It doesn't have to be. You, you just, it just needs to be mind-boggling. The crowd just needs to be stunned by it. They need to enjoy it. They need it. As I was saying before about athletes when I was competing and I saw someone's face or I, I could see someone enjoyed the show, it obviously showed I did something right. Same as this, like you watch this stuff, like, you know, pulling a boat across a harbour is just outrageous. Pulling a train is outrageous. All this stuff is just outrageous. And I think, unfortunately, today we gloss over that a little bit. I think people love seeing the big deadlifts. And don't get me wrong, those massive deadlifts are so impressive. Anyone that understands strength training knows a 500 kilo deadlift does not happen often and will not happen often. But there's a big difference to you, especially your average punter who's not like us where we, I guess we're knowledgeable, we, we, we're nerds when it comes to this type of stuff, um, that once there's a whole lot of red plates on a bar, kind of doesn't really matter if it's 400 or 450 because to them it's heavy. It's, it's but, perspective, right? Like we, we understand what that means, but yeah, the average person doesn't understand what uh, four plates versus eight plates mean. Exactly. And I think Australia was, and again, no disrespect to the generation now, I think Australia is probably at its best in weightlifting, in strongman, in strength sports through that sort of late 80s through to 2000 period, where I believe we were sort of at a extreme in the sense of out there with the Wheat Big series. Um, our level of athletes was so high. We had Derek and Bill both at World's Strongest Man. We had two guys at World's Strongest Man. We had Matt Sanford, Joe Quigley, both at World Highland Games, David Huxley at World Highland Games, there's three guys. Um, so I believe at that period of time, you know, we were just at such a high point. But again, it's the same as bodybuilding. That's when Arnold Schwarzenegger was massive. It's when everyone wanted to look like Arnold. You know, that was when bodybuilding was huge. Uh, Frank Zane, all those guys, everyone wanted legs like Tom Platts. I think everyone still wants legs like Tom Platts. Um, you know, it was just one of those situations where I think it sort of had that massive peak. Then the Wheat Big series tailed off and then a little bit of strongman tailed off. And as you 
noticed that it was in sort of early 90s when you can sort of find details on when Australia's Strongest Man had started. Previous to that, it was kind of the guys were just doing demos and shows and, and calling themselves Australia's Strongest Man, kind of like the old school circus strongmen used to call themselves the world's strongest man. Yeah. Um, so then it sort of tailed off through there. But like I said, I, I love the Wee Big series. I've actually got it on DVD and I was so lucky. Grant Edwards actually gave me one of the Wheat Bix shirts. Nice. Um, I've got nice. one of the original Wee Bix um, uh, shirts, and it's just it sits hidden away in my in my house. So um, I don't <laughs> wear it because it's just too good to wear. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I've literally got two pages of notes in front of me <laughs> about things to follow up on and, and things to uh, things to post about and people to talk to. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I feel bad, James, because I could keep talking all day. I'm only up to like the two thousands, man. We start going through the Giants live and the guys who came after that, man. Like it's it's one of those things where I just I've been so lucky to work with so as I've said probably this a million times. I've been so lucky to work with some historical guys uh, in Australia. I've just got so many little stories and so many little things of working with people and, and learning things. I can, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll lead off with one small story from Sven Carlson at, at Giants. Where we went on, we went on stage for the deadlift and because I placed so high in the yoke, I had to follow into the deadlift in a high position. And it was myself versus Nick Best, which was just solely so awesome for me up against a world powerlifting champion versus a weightlifter at deadlift. So we can all, take a bit of an inspired guess how this ended um i pulled zero <laughs> nick pulled a new world record so i stepped off the stage i shook nick's hand and said well done mate that was unbelievable and he's like yeah no, no worries and i've stepped off and Stephen carlson's sitting there going so how did you go how did you go i said oh, i got zero his response was oh that's not very many is it <laughs> and i just sat there and he's pissed himself laughing and i'm like <sighs> man and he's like don't worry it's all good next time i've just walked off and just laughed hard but you know it's just little things like that working with guys who have been there done it and they just you know as much as it was that little subtle dig it was that moment to make me feel a little bit better about the situation just to have a laugh about it yeah. you know because it's one of those things where i could take it and just be depressed about it but it's not i got to be one on stage with nick best one of the best strong men two i got to see him do a world record from half a foot away and I had Sven Carlson give me shit after so well like you said, like you said earlier um you were like I uh, you know nowadays you're like I, I want to make it more fun for the crowd and you, you said something you're like I I I can just focus like when I need to focus like right at the last second I can turn it on right and I think that's a uh, you know it's important because when I feel like when we jab you know after things like that you know yeah of course you didn't want to get zero reps but how many times have we lost right like i mean i've lost more times than i can count and at the end of the day like um you know you're gonna lose again probably and so what does it matter right and that's for all the young strength athletes out there it's like yeah take it as fuel do your thing like get 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 back on the horse and start training harder but like don't expect to uh like you you don't grow if you don't lose like you can't grow if you don't lose. And like at the end of the day, I, I think that was important. I, I wrote that down as a quote from you, just like, because that's exactly how I feel. I've been, I threw shot put and discus since I was nine years old. Right. And now I'm 29. I've been throwing for 20 years. And like, and a lot of people are like, 
you know, I tried to do powerlifting. I tried to do strong man, but the seriousness of, of the athletes that I was just, I didn't click with that. Like, uh, you know, people getting amped up and, you know, I was more of an athlete where it's just like, well, you know, I'm going to have fun until like, it's time to go. And then I can just yeah. switch and get going. But, um, yeah, no, I love that. And I, I appreciate you saying that on this podcast, because I hope anybody, you know, any lifter that's having any kind of difficulties with the way that they go need to, needs to just know that like there are peaks and valleys of any, of any time in your, in your career. And sometimes you just lose and sometimes yeah. you, you win and you just got to be okay with both of them. Cause they're both hundred percent. I always use a quote, man, where my quote is I've won a hell of a lot in my career, won a hell of a lot, but I've lost a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've lost a hell of a lot more than I ever won ever. And you know what? I'm still happy with the way my career. Yeah, people got short-term memories when it comes to losses. So don't, don't worry about it, you know? The way the yeah. news cycles go nowadays, seven days from now, no one will remember that you did. Right, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> They're just going to remember Nick Best pulling a world record, right? That's, That's it. it, man. Not about the skinny kid next to him. Don't worry about him, man. <laughs> Yesterday's news, that bloke. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I don't hear, Jacob, about stone lifting would you uh, yeah go ahead go into that one jacob i'm, I'm gonna hear a little bit yeah about so that's just um yeah obviously stone lifting is a bit of a interest of mine just from the the history perspective of it really and just interesting that side of it you mentioned the bunda dune stones um jordan is, is there any other famous stone lifting or can you dive into a little bit more into the the bunda dune stones absolutely so the bunda dune stones were some sandstones that were made in in bunda Noon in new south wales out of the quarry there, there's actually multiple sets. Uh, they were made especially for uh, the, the stone lifting series, the um, uh, the sort of the Wheat Big series and all those series through there, the Highland Games. So there's, I think there's two or three sets. There's two in Australia, one full set, and then one set that's been split apart and there's stones everywhere. And there's one full set in New Zealand. But I'm yeah. sure someone will pull me up on it if there is more, but I, I know there's at least two sets at least two to three sets. Um, Bunda Noon stones are, I guess, what we'd call the most iconic set of five stones in Australia. They've been done at the Bunda Noon Highland Games. They've been done at the Sydney show, the Wheat Big Series there. Uh, it was what we considered for many, many years the Australian Stone Lifting Championships. Um, David Huxley, the name I've rattled off many times in this podcast, was the gentleman who, who sort of got Bunda Noon going. The list of gentlemen who have won that is a who's who of Australian strongmen. Derek Boyer, uh, Craig Reed, uh, Luke Reynolds, mm. Aaron Monks. These are some of the best um, strongman Highland Games athletes you will find. Craig Reed is a name that goes under the radar. A bodybuilder turned strongman, Highland Games athlete, travelled New Zealand, Scotland, everywhere and did Highland Games to a very high level. Um, but it always goes underneath the radar. He is equal with Derek with five wins each on the stones. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Derek still has the quickest time over five stones. So the stones range from starting at 100, finish at 165 onto a 1.4 barrel, mm -hmm. one meter in between barrels. I think he ran a 19 second pass, wow. which is phenomenally fast yeah um just to get between the barrels 
in that time fast enough without even loading the stones. I think my quickest pass at Bundanoon was low 20s and I was cooking. Like, I don't think I could have gone any faster. Like, I don't know how I would have gone any faster. I would have had to have done just something. I just would have had to have been less crap. Um, but Derek's time was something ridiculous. And I know I know from the stories I was told, Craig Reed had run the stones at a 22nd or a 20.01, which was a new record. So Derek had to go under. And he did. He went like 19.98 or something, which is just phenomenally fast. Um, so those guys used to go win for win, Derek and Craig. It was a, It's a really good... Derek would win two, Craig would win one, Craig would win one, Derek would win one, Craig would win one. They went lift for lift for so many years. And it was just, again, this was sort of when I was coming up through Strongman. So I was only mainly lifting in South Australia, wasn't doing the traveling around because I was very new to the sport. So I sort of missed those sort of golden years of that stuff. And I um, got my invite to do Bundanoon and I was very blessed and very lucky to win three of them in a row, which was very lucky i guess in a way um but at the same time it was an absolute awesome experience with uh 20, people in an amphitheater you're in the middle of the oval the highland games basically everything stops everyone leaves food everyone goes from everywhere straight into one spot you have five stones down the middle barrels uh you go to the start line david huxley's got his um time uh, time watch you've got a guy named Harry uh, Mitchell, who's the MC, who, in my opinion, is just—he's a hilarious MC with one of those beautiful Frank Sinatra type voices that just is so smooth on a microphone. It's just lovely to listen to, and he loves giving us all shit. So it was just the best part about it too. So you'd you'd be sitting at the start line, the crowd would go dead quiet, dead quiet, and all you hear is "Sit." And that moment you're like, oh my God, this is actually happening. Go. And then you black out. Mm -hmm. Then the last stone loads and then you come back to it again. And the crowd just goes ballistic. 20,000 people go ballistic at once. When they see five stones loaded, they go nuts. It is uh, an experience that I still get shivers down my spine just sitting here explaining it but it is just one of the coolest things. It is up there with the pro shows I did. You know, it's up there with the best moments of my career. And it was so simple. Five stones in 20 seconds and it's all over with. But so it's just it amazing. There. It happens at the Highland Games then? The, like, or is it a festival? Like, uh, so Bundanoon Highland Games is the biggest Highland Games in the Southern Hemisphere. Okay. So what we did is uh, Tartan Warriors, which is the group we were in, uh, would go there and do the stone run. Okay. Then separately, they'd have their own Highland Games. So there'd be Bundanoon Highland Games. Then there would be Tartan Warriors stone run. So there were separate things. But then obviously you had the the pipe bands and all the rest of the showing as well. So it was a it was a full Highland game. Okay, but it was a little bit more of a festival with the pipers and everything. And absolutely, yeah, we were just one aspect of the show. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to go to that one. I know I'm going to make, I'm making rounds sometime in the next couple of years. And uh, Australia is now a, a new thing. I got to go to, first of all, you got to go to Tunarama. Like I'm just like, already sold on Tunarama, Jacob. Like, yeah, I'm going to go throw a tuna fish for sure. But uh, okay. Yeah, cool. man. We, we got to do the tour. We got to do a tour. We got to start you here in Adelaide, Tunarama, 
get you through up to Bond Noon, get you through up to maybe in one of the other Highland games through. Central New South Wales is, or, or the Highlands of New South Wales is very big on on Highland games. Um, that would be your cup of tea there, man. Uh, there's some awesome level guys. Victoria obviously has, I'd say, the more throwers. So that'd be probably a little bit more down sort of the avenue of the, the standard being very high. Uh, Gus Popolo, who's the throwing coach here in Australia, has a lot of the guys throwing in Melbourne. That's where the elite throwers tend to base out of. Um, so the Highland Games stand in Victoria is quite high due to just that. So Maryborough Highland Games, it's been going on for like 150 years or something ridiculous, 139 years. Uh, Maryborough in Victoria. And then you've got Bundanoon, which is the real, real big one. Cool, very cool. Are there any other stones that are notable in Australia? We uh, in Lismore, New South Wales, there's a real notable stone that Derek Boyd did a hip lift on. That's a bit, <laughs> it's like a, it's something ridiculous. I, I should really check out the weight. It was like something like 800 kilos or something. Yeah, I oh, know, wow. right? Yeah, yeah like it's, it's, it's a proper legit <laughs> lift. It's like a legit heavy. It's like wow, in the middle yeah. of the city. Well, yeah, when you said Lismore, I was like, oh, that's not too far away, but 800 kilos, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Just yeah, yet. no, it's a little bit You're like, oh, I'll go try that one out. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm in the car now. <laughs> um, cool. we, we, have, um, we have the Freedom Stone in, in New South Wales, which uh, a guy named Mo Westmoreland had bought out for, it, it was really, really cool. We did a competition in, in, the, in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales where, a family member of his, a family friend of his, their daughter had passed away. And we, we went over to, to New South Wales. It was myself, Luke, Mo, Aaron Monks, and Steve Ty. These were basically the Tartan Warriors guys of that period. And Mo invited us all over to do a, a run of stones, a sheaf, which I can't do, and um, the Freedom Stone. The Freedom Stone had freedom carved into it because that was the way we sort of went about letting her be free of all the pain, free of everything. And we were carrying that moment of heaviness for the family, for her. It was really a lovely moment. That's a stone that I guess to me has a lot to do with me. Um, it's 193 kilos. So it's a proper monster. So we had to pick it up and carried as far as we could. And, and the best part was with the Freedom Stone is that we had the family there watching. It was really, really, a really, uh, I guess, spiritual moment almost for, for myself and for all of us. We got the opportunity to do this in front of their family. It was lovely. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess, another really popular stone, especially in New South Wales. Uh, but we don't really quite have that history, I guess, of stone lifting or anything like that. I guess it's more sort of that Bundanoon is the real... Uh, the real spectacle guests of stone lifting here in Australia. Um, so yeah, if you, if you're going to do anything, if you guys get the opportunity to, to see the Bundanoon stones or, or get the opportunity to watch the guys do a run or in your case, Hayden, have a run yourself, mate, or Jacob mate, get, we'll get you out having a run as well, man. Um, you know, they're, they're a heavy set of stones and I will say this about the last stone and this is, I, I don't know, I might get in trouble for telling this story, but I'll tell it anyway. Craig can, Craig can come and find me if he wants to, to go about this. Um, Craig, Craig's actually a police officer in New South Wales, so I'll probably end up getting arrested tomorrow at some point. Um, so the last stone, <laughs> we were doing runs and some years it would feel really heavy and some years it would feel really light. And um, we were sort of just chatting and 
Luke and Craig just were sitting in the corner laughing their heads off. And I was like, so funny. They're like, well, Craig gets bored. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see where this is going. So what they'll do is if Craig's in one of his moods, he'll leave the stone in his pool so it takes in all this water. Yeah. And then he'll put it in the truck and drive it down. So there were some years where, like, you'd do a run of five and you'd pop the last stone. It would pop on comfortably. Like, yeah, that was a solid run. Then you'd come back another year and you lap it and you're like... <laughs> and then you load and you're like, why was that, like, so heavy? You just one motion the second to last stone. Why am I wet after that? Right. <laughs> <The> sweat. <laughs> right. And, and they just said, yeah. Some, so we, we don't even know. what the, the stone's meant to weigh 165, give or take, and it was a bit of an egg shape. So it was always fun to try and lift because it would roll sometimes. But, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised if some years if that thing wasn't knocking on the door in the mid-170s to 180. Yeah, Craig was a sicko. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> That was brilliant. A bit of a bit of controversy there for our listeners, and an excuse if anyone tries to lift them and they're having trouble. Craig's at it in his yeah. pool. Don't worry about it. Exactly right. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's brilliant. The other thing I wanted to touch on is: is there a place in, or mainly for my benefit, because I'm just such a strength nerd? Is there a place in Australia where any of the memorabilia, strength history is housed? Like in the in the US, we've got the Stark Center, um, the Sorinex. Um, manufacturers have a bit of a museum is there anywhere with like an exhibition of strength or history or even sports to that matter melbourne cricket ground melbourne cricket ground has a lot of the old historical stuff it's actually got dean lucan's belt from the sydney olympics Uh, i went in and saw it uh dean lucan jr uh his son has his bar and weights at his house in port lincoln that he used on the boat very cool um there is a gentleman here in South Australia who's a hoarder of strength stuff. He was actually my MC when I was a kid. He, his name's Jeff Thompson. Jeff is great. Jeff has been around since Caesar wore short trousers. Like he, he was here when Arnold posed and did the Olympia in Sydney. He was there for it. He's got a signature of it. He he, download, he gets all the Iron Mind magazines. He's got all the Iron Mind books. He got me my Iron Mind videotape of Ronnie Vuela versus Andre Chimurkin at 1999 Worlds in Germany or 98 Worlds in Germany. He is probably the most knowledgeable person in strength sports in Australia, I would say. He was a grip specialist himself. He's one of those guys that when he'll give you a handshake, my God, does he give you a handshake. Um, he loves that. He just loves to find that. Like, he loves strength. He just loves it. I can remember he would go from emceeing, so I'd step on the platform. You know, I'd be like a – I'd be doing the last lift of the day and maybe it was like a 175 clean and jerk. And I can remember him putting down the microphone, running to the front with his old school, like, camera – and just snapshotting every lift I did just because he loved strength. He just loved it. He'd come to SA's Strongest Man at the Highland Games and watch it. He'd go to the Arnold's and watch it. I can still remember the first pro show, me and Ed Hall were competing against each other. Me and Ed both did our first pro shows together in wow. Melbourne. We both did them together. So it was his first and my first. And Jeff was there. He's like, he's like, Biggie, 
could you give me a front double bicep? I'm like, dude, have you seen how big these guys are? Not a chance, man. He's like, come on, give me a front double bicep. And I'm going, Ugh. and he's just, you know, just doing the snapshots, but it's not, he just loved everything. He just loves strength sports. He goes to all the natural powerlifting comps here and MCs them. He'll travel everywhere. He's been to the Arnold's Ohio. He just, he is a wealth of knowledge. And again, just another person I learned so much from as a young kid, because I was a teenager coming through, even though his voice was that, <laughs> that voice of emceeing that you just, it stays so straight the whole time. We, as a young kid, I'd be sitting in the warm-up room going, oh God, he's going to put me to sleep. Come on, man. I just want to go out and lift. But he was just such a wealth of knowledge. He was just such a good person. He has, in what I've been told, and again, I haven't been there personally, his house is an archive of strength. Cool. Um, so he would be one person that, if you can get to Adelaide, any of you, I'd love to introduce you to him. Um, and he, if you think I talk a lot, he will knock me for six. Um, he, he's got so much knowledge on this type of stuff. And... Um, you know, I guess he, he was just around in, the, in, again, the 80s and 90s when things were massive here. In the powerlifting days, um, you know, Adam Coe from Victoria, from New South, from WA, who's a highest level powerlifter, um, threw into sort of your Sean Bostock, uh, bench press world champ, um, all these powerlifting guys. He saw all those guys come through. Um, Vince Samanetta from Victoria, another world powerlifting legend. Um you know, all these guys he had a lot to do with just watching them through his career. Um, so he's just a wealth of knowledge, but um, he's very old school. Uh, I don't know if he would have much of a clue on how to do a video podcast or anything like that. So it might be one of those opportunities if you wanted to do one with him. I might have to have him sit next to me. But um, he is just, uh, again, if you wanted to find someone with the most amount of knowledge, I'm sure Jeff would be just the best person to chat to so in regards to looking for stuff in australia yeah you'd be just wanting to talk to a lot of the old school guys someone like luke reynolds a lot like myself he was schooled by david huxley grant edwards uh, craig reed while i was schooled by your bill linden and your Derek boyer so we were schooled by two different general two different groups in strongman but from the same generation so we both learned that respect for our elders. We learned about the history. But Luke is very knowledgeable as well on this type of stuff. Um, he's done the traveling through Scotland. He's done the stone lifting in Scotland as well, which I was hoping to do just before COVID ruined it for everybody. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of guys, a lot of the old school guys are the, the guys you sort of want to talk to. But yeah. in Australia, we're massive in AFL, cricket, tennis, uh, we're not too, we still don't have that massive uh, archive of sort of strength stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bit of a, a space, maybe an opportunity there for a bit of a, a museum to get going there. But yeah, watch the space. <laughs> Absolutely, Jake. Man, we, we, to be honest, uh, we were chatting about what would, what to do with chatting with Jeff about where we'd put all this stuff because yeah. a few of us would like to actually do something with it, actually like set it up somewhere because he's just got so much stuff. We don't want it to go to waste. Um, yeah. I'd love to see it at Fox's gym because I think that's just the perfect place, the original gym. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just one of those things where, where can we put it and who can we get to work with for it? Because there's just a whole lot of cool stuff from past years. We just don't want to go missing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for all that. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, so kind of, 
closing off off a little bit now you mentioned uh is it grant edwards with his plane pools and and things like that and i know you've got a i was watching your some of your igtv videos yesterday you've been teasing some uh some records and things this year which i know you can't dive into too much but what have you got coming up in the future so um I guess for me, for the future is trying to just get my skills better for circus and just do more of the circus strongman. That is where I'm going with my career. Um, obviously coaching, but I, I just love circus strongman. I love it. I love just learning those cool feats of strength. I love just doing all the different weird stuff, learning the acrobatics, learning the positioning and learning all that type of stuff. Uh, I guess for the sense of like short term, um, one world record has been done already. Um okay but we'll have to wait to see and hear what it is and when it will come out. So wait for September for one and two, go buy the Guinness World Record book. <laughs> um, I actually have my second world record attempt this week. And actually I waited to, till I came on here to, to tell you guys, because you'd be the first ones to know. Awesome. So it's going to be a world record for, I don't know if you guys have seen a three high. So it's one on top of me and then one on top of the person on top of my shoulders. Mm -hmm. So we'll pop up to a three high and we've got a 20 meter course to do as quickly as possible. So we've got a course of 20 meters, the quickest time as we can. That'll be done this Thursday here at RCC, the Royal Croquet Club here in Adelaide. Um, so that is the only record, unfortunately, I can officially release uh, because it's going to be done publicly. Mm -hmm. um, but then there'll be a few more later on this year, which as they come up, um, I will be making public to a few, but there is one uh, record attempt that will be done in September, which you cannot miss. Um, okay. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. Um, but yeah, you know, working with the people at Guinness has been great. The, the group who I've been working with has just been so helpful for me. They've made my life so easy and hopefully I haven't made their life too difficult. Um, but they've just been an absolute pleasure to work with. So, um, yeah, the, the record attempts have been fantastic so far. The three high for speed this week is going to be great. Um, training with, like I said, with the group called Gravity and Other Myths. So if anyone listening um, or, or watching wants to see a great circus, Gravity and Other Myths, I coach a fair few of their guys in the gym, their weight training. But some of the things these guys do, they just did a show recently called The Pulse. And... I was just knocked for six and I'd worked enough trained with these guys. They can do uh, what they call four high. So three on top of one. The only circus in Australia that can do one four high is gone. So they do two on stage. They do two four highs right next to each other. It is wow. just one of the most surreal things you will ever see. I think there's a group in Mongolia that can do a five high, but that's it. These mm. guys can now... I've actually been told if God wanted to go hard, they could probably do three or four. That's how good their bases, middles and flyers are. They yeah. can just do something that most of the other circuses can't. So working with them for this world record is just going to be so much fun because I've just got literally the best middle and the best flyers in the world on top of me. So it makes my job so easy. So um, looking forward to this world record, looking forward to the rest, uh, looking forward to just upping my skills, but also looking forward to seeing where my guys are for the rest of the year. I've got one of my girls looking ready to prep for the Commonwealth Games. Uh, so she's looking good. She's just so talented um, and, and just an awesome person. And a few of my young kids are, are looking to push themselves up. One of my young girls, her name's Ali. Um, she's looking to step up onto the Australian youth squad. 
She is just how do I, how do I explain that? Just one of the loveliest young ladies uh, I, I work with. Just a sweet person with a great personality, but just with such uh, good timing and mobility that I would have killed for when I was weightlifting. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a big rest of the year, and hopefully the world becomes a little bit easier with COVID. Hopefully we can start to travel a bit more. Hopefully we can get you guys to South Australia as soon as possible and uh, start getting you guys throwing some fish, doing some three highs and, uh, you know, just having a bit of fun because, you know. Doing three highs with us? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I don't know how that three high would work. I don't know. I have a feeling like... Who's middling? I might be a heavy middle, dude. I don't know. How much do you weigh? Because I feel like you're going to be a real heavy middle. I'm about I'm sitting like 320, 330 right now. Yeah, you are a massive, massive middle. You are a you're a massive, massive base. <laughs> you're just a fire position though. Don't worry. So we got Yeah, to- man. I was about to say, Jacob, man, you are flying. I'm sorry, man. You oh, are going I right. thought I'd be I thought I'd be the obvious base there, really weighing in at 100 <laughs> kilos, but I thought that was a no-brainer. You guys, you know, uh, need to let me show my skills. Longer. Come on! So there's so much more that I got that I got that I need to learn about, uh, like circus and circus strongman. So, well, like before we get to like you know where we can find, uh, you know where our listeners can find you, can you please tell me resources where I can research a little bit more about like like circus, like strongman type stuff? Well, look, I guess for for circus, you, the the best thing I did was go to my lo- the, the way I started out was I went to my local circus school. I literally just found a circus school here in Adelaide and went, hey, guys, I'm such and such. I've done such and such. What are your thought processes? And they were like, yeah, man, come on down. You'd be surprised who you find in these type places. There's guys, especially at the fringe here, there's guys that rock up and that you've never heard of. They were never a pro strongman. They they weren't doing anything, but they're doing the horseshoe bending. They're doing the drill up the nose. They're doing the... the, um, nail bending and stuff like that they're doing all this stuff same as titan does in the uk you know they're doing the the card ripping and stuff like that you know they're all doing this type of stuff and these are just guys who just wanted to do it you know and there's circus background you know a lot of these circus guys come from a gymnastics background but i guess if you're looking to do it personally you just go to one of these circus schools and just pop in meet some people Go to the history of uh, strength sports. They've got a pretty good idea of what's going on and all that type of stuff. I hear they've got a good page. But, um, you know, in the sense of that type of stuff, you know, it's just about just, I guess, learning and opening yourself up. That was one of the biggest things when I got to learning circus is how open and connected these guys are with each other, spiritually, emotionally, physically. You know, it's a very different world going from a, a professional athlete a weightlifter, a strongman, to a performer, especially in a, a multi-person um, situation, learning how to toss someone into hand-to-hand is not just what I do. I've got to work with someone and you've got to have that connection with the person. You've got to feel comfortable with the person. You have to, it's a lot about what it feels like working with them. Do you connect? You might not connect. They just might not be the connection that you have with someone. Trust me, I, I can walk in there and muscle someone into place, but if they don't feel comfortable going into place, they're not going to relax and I'm never going to be able to hold them there. But if they've got that connection, that feeling with you, that feeling of confidence that you're underneath them, 
that's where you sort of get that nice feeling from. And that's what a lot of circus acrobatics is about. And it's finding for me personally, the connection between myself and the flyer and the base and the middles, and then keeping my connection with training with strength sports, strongman type stuff. Um, so I guess for anyone that's wanting to learn about acrobatics type stuff or circus strongman or anything like that, you know, your page is the best in the world. There's just no ifs, ads, or buts about it. You guys have got the best links to everything. I love it. Um, you know, it's so good. And you've got so many other athletes on there. Like I used the name Titan before. You know, he's just a wealth of knowledge himself um, and a, an absolutely unbelievable performer and strongman himself. You know, so the, the questions to ask, and I'm more than happy to fill in them where I can, but just going to see what these guys do to to use example for holding a four high, you have to have connection between your base and the person three people up on top of you. And you need that beautiful connection between all of you or you will not hold a four high. I don't care if you squat 400 kilos, you won't hold it because the weight isn't 400 kilos straight down. It's weight wobbling meters and meters ahead of you. Um, so, yeah, no, there is, like I said, I think if anyone's wanting to learn or just even just experience what it's like to do that type of stuff is just to go to one of your circus schools and see because getting out into the community, going to the fringe shows or going, I don't know if anywhere in the US has this type of sort of shows. And I guess with COVID being on at the moment, it's very hard. Australia, we're very lucky. We can do these fringe shows. We can do this type of stuff. So it's a lot easier for me to go around and meet all these people coming from interstate or again from past years from overseas and just meeting these people so i guess it's one of those things where you have to throw it all out the window and just dive head first in i like it well i appreciate that yeah amazing yeah well i just want to thank you um biggie this has been absolutely incredible for our first interview on the history of strength sport podcast i think you've been the ideal first guest so yeah just appreciate all your wealth of knowledge and the the work you put into looking at up the information beforehand and, and all this kind of stuff it's been uh, it's been brilliant so so where can people find out more about you and, and what you do and, and everything moving forward oh look guys i just want to say first up thank you so much for having me I really appreciated the opportunity to talk with you guys. It's just so much fun. Uh, you guys are a wealth of knowledge yourselves. And again, you, I believe you guys are helping bridge that gap between, I guess, guys from my generation and older through to the next generation of guys coming through. So again, thank you for all your hard work and everything you guys do. Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could probably talk for four or five hours, uh, but nobody wants to hear that. So um, I'm, I'm just happy you guys have kept me on and haven't cut me off that early. Uh, but if you if you want to find me, I guess Instagram uh, Jordan underscore Biggie or Biggie the King of the Circus. Uh, same for my website, King of the Circus. Basically anything I'm, I'm sort of based off the King of the Circus is my name or Biggie because no one knows my real name. Um, they're kind of the best places to find me. It's just online. But like I said, if if anyone's got any questions or anything I can help with, please don't hesitate to shoot me a message more than happy to chat, more than happy to give any type of advice, help or anything I can. Like I said, I'm a coach now. That's my job. That's what I do. I'm here to help where I can. And like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure again, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thank you very much. And I will let, um, let Hayden do the close of the show. I did the intro, so it's only fair. <laughs> you've been a, you've been an amazing guest, Jordan. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody at home, thank you. Please uh, press subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, por favor. And uh, 
this has been the History of String Sports Podcast, uh, episode four. All right. Y'all take it easy. Have a good day. Be good or be good or being bad. <laughs>